Hey there. Welcome to May. How you breathing? Are you one of those folks blessed to move through life without being affected by the abundance of pollen swirling through the air? Well, achoo and good for you, I say. For the rest, may I invite you to pop a Claritin, chase it with a couple shots of Flonase, and settle in for another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythm of the seasons. If you're listening live, happy Mother's Day. If you're listening sometime in the future, why not give your mom a call if she's still around? How come you never call? The theme of today's show is growth. John Ballinger and Double Batch Daddy are here to celebrate the golden afternoon. In our new segment, The Seasons of Life, we'll hear from four incredible high school juniors and seniors and find out what they're thinking and feeling as the school year comes to a close. Jenny Yokobori joins us to read a lovely Japanese fable about passing the torch to a worthy successor. And later on, I'll share with you some thoughts on the incredible power mothers bring to our world. So, here we are. The super bloom is in full bloom here in California. The hills are covered with the most explosive yellows, purples, reds, and oranges. And a trip to hike the trails that meander through the countryside can feel like a real trip indeed. Sunrise in Los Angeles came at 5.52, and it sets at 7.46. Strawberry season is here, and that means summer cherries can't be far behind. Avocados, artichokes, spring lettuces, blueberries, mangoes, and pineapples are all in season, and the grill is ready to be dusted off and put to use slow-cooking ribs, chicken, and roasts. The basketball and hockey seasons are in playoff mode, and the baseball season is starting to hit its stride. It's also prom season, and the thrill of dressing up and dancing the night away with everyone you've spent the last 13 years learning and laughing and crying and loving with, knowing that many, if not most of them, may be leaving your life forever in a few short days, is heady. For the journey from kindergarten to high school senior is the journey from childhood to the cusp of adulthood. It's a dance from utter dependence to tentative independence. So to all the high school graduates out there, go put on your best suit or party dress, pin a rose on your lapel, kick up your heels and celebrate the passing of your childhood and the infinite possibilities of your adult life. You've earned it. We visit the dark side of prom season at the end of May, where we take time to remember and honor all of the boys and girls who either chose or were forced to give up their adult lives in service of war. We can and should think hard about the sacrifice of our sons and daughters. For war is one thing when it's presented to us in the newspaper or projected onto a map or our TV screens. It's quite another when you're the 20-year-old landing on the beach or trudging through the jungle or hiding in the bunker. And it is yet another to be the mother who receives the visitors who come up the walkway in uniform to deliver the most horrific news imaginable. Perhaps, if we take a moment to not just memorialize, but to really remember the human cost of war, we'll be less likely to rush into one in the future. May, I think, is the most tender month. The grads are finding their footing. Moms are remembering the profound transition from hosting new life within their bodies to holding in their arms a living, breathing, tiny human being with all of the tenderness and panic that comes with it. The vegetables in the garden are coming into their own, and the flowers are putting on a show. There are good reasons to be optimistic in May. The evidence of life's abundance is all around us. I hope you'll find the time to revel in it. In that spirit... 
I'll close this opening with a short piece from Alice in Wonderland. Alice, you'll remember, is the story of someone who is too big for some things and too small for some others. Here is Lewis Carroll's poem that opens the story, All in the Golden Afternoon. All in the golden afternoon, full leisurely we glide, for both our oars with little skill by little arms are plied, while little hands make vain pretense our wanderings to guide. Oh, cruel three, in such an hour beneath such dreamy weather, to beg a tale of breath too weak to stir the tiniest feather. Yet what can one poor voice avail against three tongues together? Imperious Prima flashes forth, her edict to begin it. In gentler tones, Segunda hopes there will be nonsense in it, while Tertia interrupts the tale not more than once a minute. Anon, to sudden silence one, in fancy they pursue the dream child, moving through a land of wonders wild and new, in friendly chat with bird or beast, and half believe it true. And ever, as the story drained the well of fancy dry, and faintly strove that weary one to put the subject by, the rest next time. It is next time, the happy voices cry. Thus grew the tale of Wonderland. Thus, slowly, one by one, its quaint events were hammered out. And now the tale is done. And home we steer, a merry crew, beneath the setting sun. Alice, a childish story take, and with a gentle hand, lay it where childhood's dreams are twined in memory's mystic band, like pilgrim's withered wreath of flowers, plucked in a far-off land. <laughs> Butterflies kiss their tulips And the sun is like a toy balloon There I get up in the morning glories In the golden afternoon There are dizzy daffodils on the hillside Strings of violets are all in tune Tiger lilies love the dandelions in the golden afternoon There are dog and caterpillars And a copper centipede Where the lazy daisies love The very peaceful life they lead You can learn a lot of things from the flowers For especially in the month of June There's a wealth of happiness and romance search for a short story to share with you this month, I first searched for stories about mothers, but found it to be too broad a topic to cover in a few minutes. 
Then I looked at prom stories. But great prom stories tend to fall into fairly well-worn tropes. Eventually, I went searching for garden stories, and I found three that I liked. The Man Who Loved Flowers is about a young man in May of 1963 who buys a bunch of flowers to take to his gal. We come to realize that his gal has actually been dead for years, and it's turned him into a psychopath who brings flowers to his unsuspecting victims. It's a mercifully short and creepy Stephen King story. Did I forget to mention that? But it's too unsettling to present here. Another one I liked was inspired by a writing prompt to create a story that takes place in a garden. It was a very imaginative piece with great characters, lots of unexpected hijinks, but it felt like the author got to the end of their writing time and shut the story down before it was ready to be over. Eventually, I stumbled onto this lovely Japanese fable that I vaguely remembered hearing before. It's a sweet little tale, and it's read here by Jenny Yokobori. In a remote village in the Far East, there lived an old couple who were older than time itself. Both the man and his wife were almost a hundred years old. They were admired by all because they had the most beautiful garden in the world. There, they grew flowers that nobody else knew how to grow, and the plants filled the air with an intoxicating aroma that could be smelled for miles around. The old couple knew that their lives would soon come to an end. Their greatest regret was that they'd have to say goodbye to their beloved garden. Not wanting to abandon their life's work to an uncertain fate, they agreed to pass it on to the gardener that deserved it the most. But who? After considering the matter for several days, the couple concluded that the solution was to hold a contest for all the gardeners in the land. This was the only way to know for certain which of them was worthy of inheriting their beautiful garden. Thus, they asked the people of the kingdom to spread the news of the contest. The old couple sent out their message far and wide. Whoever wished to inherit the garden should present themselves to them later that month, on the first night of the full moon. Those who entered the competition would be given a task. How well they performed that task would determine the winner. News of the contest spread like wildfire, reaching the ears of the most prestigious gardeners in all of Asia. Now, the old couple had a maid whose daughter loved the garden deeply, but knew nothing of gardening. When she heard about the coming contest, the maid was greatly saddened. She was sure that the winner would no longer allow her daughter to visit that enchanting place, which would break her heart. The woman told her daughter about the contest so that she could say goodbye to the beautiful garden. However, the girl had decided to take part in the contest herself, even though she had no chance of winning. When the day of the contest arrived, all of the most famous gardeners in the land were there. The maid's daughter was also present, wishing only to see the garden one last time. Finally, the old couple emerged and informed the gardeners that they would give each of them a seed. Their task was to nurture that seed, and at the end of three months, whoever brought them the most beautiful flower would win the contest. Everyone was very excited, including the maid's daughter. It was a fair contest, and each of them was going to do their best to win. The girl set about nurturing her seed the very next morning. She knew that she was at a disadvantage compared to most of the gardeners in the competition, but she believed that what she lacked in knowledge, she made up for in her deep love of the old couple's garden. She would do everything in her power to grow the most beautiful flower. And yet, the days passed, and her seed didn't sprout. She watered it patiently, took it outside to sit in the sun, and let the wind blow upon it gently. Nothing. 
No matter how much love and care the girl lavished upon her tiny seed, nothing happened. But although she was upset, the girl was determined. Time passed, and the final day of the contest arrived. Despite her best efforts, the girl's seed was the same as it had been on the very first day. Nevertheless, she still wanted to go to the contest to say goodbye to the beautiful garden she loved so much. For all she knew, it could very well be the last time she would ever see it. Gardeners began to arrive from all four corners of the land, each bringing with them splendid flowers with exquisite aromas and wonderfully bright colors. The girl was astounded. Many of the species were so rare that she had never laid eyes on them before. One by one, the old couple began to inspect each of the flowers. They examined every one of them in detail, assessing them carefully. When they got to the girl's seed, they barely gave it a second glance before moving on to the next. When the time came for the final verdict, the old couple ruled that the maid's daughter was the winner. No one could believe it. Angry voices rang out, demanding an explanation. Finally, the old couple revealed that all the seeds they had given them were sterile. The girl was crowned the winner because she possessed the flower that was most beautiful and difficult to cultivate. Honesty. The rhythm of the seasons is a true labor of love. I spend a lot of time laboring to bring these podcasts to you, and I do love it. Thanks to your generous donations, we've been able to pay the bills for our website, logo, and even share a tiny little bit of money with the folks who contribute their time and talents to make this podcast what it is. Namely, a chance to check in with the world as it moves through its endless cycle of birth, growth, withering death and new life. If you like what you hear, if you take something away from this podcast, an idea, a song, or just a laugh, we invite you to join Hope from Hollywood, John from Celebration Florida, Shadow from Fairlawn, Ohio, and Tim and Barbara, my parents, from Sacramento, by making a contribution to the cause. It's easy. Just head to livefromtheloungepodcast.com. That's livefromtheloungepodcast.com and hit the donate button. Every dollar you share with us goes right back into the creation of this podcast. Thanks in advance for your generosity. This year, we're presenting a new feature on this podcast. It's called The Seasons of Life. Each month, we're asking a small group of people a collection of questions designed to allow them to share their thoughts and feelings with us. We started with kindergartners in February, and we're moving through to our elders by the end of the year. This month, we're chatting with students who are about to graduate from high school. We ask them what was on their mind, what's the best meal they ever had, what makes them happy, sad, angry, and afraid, what's their favorite memory, And what do they hope for the future? Here are their answers. My name is Penny, and I am 16 years old. Uh, My name is Aiden Williams. I am 18 years old. I'm Charlotte, and I'm 18. I'm Kieran, and I'm 17. I'm thinking a lot about college. I got just got accepted to the university I'll be attending next year. Uh, George Washington, raise high. Super excited about that. So just. I found a roommate, but all of the things about moving in and graduating high school, graduation, prom, everything around there. That's just what's been spinning up top. I'm thinking about like the next steps because uh, everyone everyone keeps asking me, what am I going to miss? And like, oh, what's, what's the thing you're going to miss the most? I've been doing a lot of like cataloging of my day to day as it is now because I know it's going to change drastically 
come the fall and for freshman year of college and everything, you can never predict. You can't you can't predict who's going to stay and who's not. Mostly what I'm thinking about day to day is just like how to get to the end of the day. And it could be like the smallest thing like, oh, I, I have art next period. Or like it could be like, oh, I'm going out with friends tonight or like, you know, but it's always just that one motivator to get me through the day. Figuring out a way to basically project my prowess in digital media, getting my videos, all my commercials, everything that I've worked on out there, figure out a way to use it as a good enough example for a portfolio. Best meal I ever had, I think I'd have to say, I went to Madrid for a Model UN United Nations conference and my first time like away from my parents for like a whole week and the food there was insane. It was just calamari and jamon and I ate a lot of calamari and I think the best meal I ever had was just walking the streets of Madrid. I had a whole like a small basket of calamari in my hand and I was talking and with my friends. I think any best meal I've had is like one with friends and that's like very broad but like I think the having the friends there and having the the socialization and the talking makes any any meal better in my opinion. Last week I was eating um some Indian food and just like having my friends around at the table made it like taste 10 times better and I was like eating it up like so much faster than I would if I were just like alone watching my phone at the table. My favorite food have to be I I just love mac and cheese like baked mac and cheese. The the box stuff is fine, that's whatever, but like nice baked mac and cheese, amazing, absolutely amazing. The best meal that I've ever had. One of them that I had was at Chili's and it was the Cajun chicken pasta. That was amazing. I get it every time I go there from now on. The first time that I got it, I fell in love with it. I love pasta. I love Cajun spice. It's just perfect. The true joy I get is just like hanging out with my friends and all of the the absolutely goofy, wacky moments and hijinks we get up to. I love learning about topics I'm super interested in. I'm kind of an international relations nerd, so everything that I can learn about the world and things like that makes me super happy. I like music as like my soundtrack, as my original soundtrack to help me through the day. I like K-pop, J-pop. I like hip-hop, Tyler the Creator, Kendrick, stuff like that. I also like being by myself and being alone. I like my alone time. I definitely say digital media. My teacher, my current teacher, Mr. Halfacre, he has been a great mentor for me. So he's always taught me don't go into anything saying, I already know how to do that. Go into it saying, I'd love to learn how to do that. Um, sad. I don't often feel sad because it's always like behind something else. Like I always hide it with like anger. There's always something else behind anger. It's usually sadness. But I, I guess in the same vein as my friends, like I've been thinking about having to leave them. And it's made me pretty upset. Like, it's not, we're not going to see each other every day. And in uh, 12 days, not even, I have a little counter, um, we're going to be graduated. And then that that is going to be it. I guess pretty standard, but being alone for larger periods of time or like when I have to say goodbye to my friends and or even when I'm bored. I get sad. So like when I'm in classes that I'm not interested in or when I have to do things I'm not super fond of. Um, And I think just like endings, if that makes sense, because I don't really know what's coming next. Just a lot of like old memories, like nostalgia and stuff. And, you know, oh, I wish I could go back to that time where things were simpler and, you know, stuff like that. And again, music is also like a, a key to like, take you back and like amplify that sadness. The thing that hurt me the most was definitely when I lost my dog Viking. He was about maybe a year and a half old, maybe two. And I was in eighth grade. Unfortunately, he started having seizures. It was bad. I mean, he was drooling everywhere. 
like foaming at the mouth pretty much like a little bit and finally at some point we don't know what happened at some point he just snapped he started fighting our other dog finn at the cost of that viking did eventually have to get put down because of a tumor that was on his brain losing a dog is literally just the exact same feeling as losing a best friend i get mad when people aren't smart (laughs) i guess i get angry at the normal things of people cutting you off in traffic just being rude but also people that don't appreciate what they have makes me angry people that go through life and don't understand that the purpose of being there is to make it better i'm a stage manager i we just finished our musical it was mamma mia it was awesome It was like my first year being a stage manager too. And I hadn't really done run crew before. And I just felt like I like people were joking around. And when I'd ask them to do something, they would continue to joke around. And I feel like I wasn't really being respected. And also as a trans guy, I feel like it's, it's really hard to maintain respect. And so I just feel like if I am not given respect, I I can easily get like mad at that. When like certain people obviously don't do their portion of work, it gets very tiring. You kind of have to cover for them in a certain way. And it gets to that point where you realize I can't rely on this person anymore. Or like people who who refuse to like open themselves up to like other opinions. And it's like, have you ever thought of once just like listening to the other side and and maybe thinking like, oh, perhaps. <sighs> I'm afraid of the ocean. It's very big and I don't know what's in there. I don't like being in water. And when I look down, I can't see the bottom. It's just like very cloudy and scary. That is a very good question and a question that I might not have the answer to. Um, Oh, man, that is a really good question. I'd say just the fear of the unexpected. We did this workshop a few weeks ago at school it was like a poem workshop and we had to write these letters to like your biggest fear um and so i did i'm afraid all of the doubts i have in myself that are perpetuated by others are all going to end up being true i'm just going to be in debt for the rest of my life and i'm not going to make it i'm not going to make any money I, nothing's good is going to come out for me i'm going to have to like live in my parents house till i'm like 40 that's a big one. Um, and another one, I, it's like like a trans thing again. It's like, I just feel like I could never fit in with guys. And I feel like, like it's not founded because I have a lot of friends who are guys. And so I got to remind myself that that's completely untrue. But it's just like that nagging self-doubt that I feel like is always under the surface. And I'm scared that it it could come true. And I'm afraid of graduating and going to college. Like going to college, it's a whole new beginning and that's scary. I'm afraid of not making the Model One team. I'm afraid of not making friends. I'm afraid of, I'm afraid of being afraid in college. And I'm afraid of what emotions I might feel because I don't really know what's gonna happen complete uncertainty and that's what i guess i'm afraid of i'm scared of like what if like my career doesn't work out or you know what if like i lose all my friends or what if like my life in my head doesn't go how it does in my head i'd say one of my favorite memories was meeting my best friend jackson he He and I have been in the same school system since primary school, since first grade, talking almost every day we see each other. We used to spend the night at each other's place. His dad would make milkshakes, which were just amazing. If anything, that core memory, that core time and place was just, that was the little fire that then started the giant flame. My fondest memory is. The first time I won my biggest Model UN conference, it just changed my life. I get up to win the award. I get the award, but I, I'm so excited. I start running up and then I trip and fall. 
and just face plant basically and then i keep running through it things that came out of that i was able to um join my i'm on a club team basically for model un um and i was able to apply and join that team um and i made the best friends that i have on that team and i'm going into college with a lot of them and now i also i just got a lot more self-confidence and like purpose in life me and my two friends were at a drive-thru and when the three of us are together we tend to get a little bit crazy and we were in the drive-thru and i was driving and so i was like if you pay i will drive you to the restaurant dairy queen and he was like yeah whatever and so i ordered a meal and he was like wait I thought you could only order one thing. And I was like, I am. It's the meal. And it's it's so trivial. It's whatever. But it was so funny at the time because we were just like screaming at the top of our lungs over like just joking at each other, jokingly yelling at each other. And we got to the window and he just like got out of the car and just left because he was just like, man, F this. I'm done. And just walked out. And the lady opened the window and she was like, my drive through is not a playground. And I was like, oh, my God. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. She was saying all of this, like being so serious, and she was doing the blizzard flipping thing. I was actually thinking about this like exact memory today because I had art and we were doing um, a sketchbook assignment. I grew up on a boarding school campus. Um, and so like in the summer, there was just a bunch of other campus kids and we had like 80 acres to just like roam and enjoy. Um, and then we would like come back only to eat and like not even say hi to our parents. We'd grab food and then we'd go. Um, but there was this one particular tree. It was a willow tree. And so it had like the really long branches that you could hide in. And so we would all like, we would hide in it and then we would climb up into the branches and we had like a pulley system and a bucket. So like one person would be sitting on the ground, someone would be at the very top and someone like in the middle. And we were just like, send things up and down send messages even though we could talk to each other um and so I was I I drew like a willow tree and I put the picture of myself as a kid like in the willow tree it was such a nice way to grow up and that tree was just such a fond memory for the future I there's a lot of things that I want to do I want to graduate college obviously and I would either like to work for the State Department or to run for office. I really want to go into international development and security policy. I have a lot of hopes for college, and I hope that they come through. Like I I feel like I want to do too much, and once I get there, I'm going to realize that I can't do it all. Like play viola, I want to continue doing theater, Um, but then I also, my program requires me to do a photo thesis and a film thesis um so it's a lot my hopes for the future um what i would like to do is uh either photography or videography i want to work as an embalmer in a morgue i want to be an embalmer and i don't want you know like big status a lot of money i don't want all that i just want to go to college get the job you know, maybe if I'm still in college, do like online, get a small apartment, get my cats, you know, just live a quiet, peaceful life. I don't want to move around a whole bunch. I don't think I'm quite ready for that just yet. I think I may wait until maybe like late 20s, maybe even early 30s. So I, I hope I make make it to my transition goals. I'm hoping to get top surgery in like December. I really want to work in international relations and in political science, because I think that I have a lot of passion for it and there's a lot of room to change. I would love to see better expansion for healthcare and better use of the federal budget. I would love to see unity between everybody. I just want to see this place look better than it did whenever we first came to it. I hope that... um... Either I'm not living in the United States after college or the United States has come to its senses. And I hope there's more people in the positions of power who have trans lived experiences or are just more allies because it's 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 a little scary right now. So I just hope there's more love in the world in like five years. Big thanks to Penny from Oregon, Aiden from Tennessee, Charlotte from New York. 
and Kieran from New Jersey for taking the time to share their thoughts and feelings with us. Next month, we talk to recent college graduates to see how they're dealing with the seasons of life. really know what it's like to be a parent until you are one. Nonetheless, sometime between middle school and the middle of high school, you might have come across the lesson from health class where young women are assigned an egg that they have to protect for three days in order to experience a taste of motherhood. It was always a strange week at my high school, watching all the junior girls make little cribs and clothes and bonnets and draw little faces on their eggs to give them a little personality. There were always the inevitable slip-ups, too, where the egg would tumble out of a young woman's hands and crack open on the cement in the hallways. <laughs> Tears ensued. There were also stories of little egg babies left out on the counter and accidentally cooked up by the ovo infant's unwitting grandparents, aunts, and uncles. I always wondered why the guys didn't have to participate in this exercise. 
I suspect now, from a distance of forty years or so, that it was to reinforce the idea that becoming a single mother at sixteen was the inevitable consequence of sexual activity, and that no guy was going to be there to help you if you somehow allowed yourself a moment of weakness and fell under their spell. At my kid's middle school, some gung-ho past PTA president decided to spend a small fortune of the school's money on little robot babies that would be assigned to each eighth-grade girl. The little cyborgs cried when they were hungry or needed a diaper change or to be held, and their little animatronic limbs and heads would move, not the slightest bit realistically, to and fro. They came equipped with a solid plastic bottle infused with an RF chip that needed to be held near the robo baby's mouth when it was hungry, and there were sensors embedded in the back of the baby that responded to pats and rubbing. And if this weren't unpleasant enough, the faux kid was programmed to die if the needs of its software went unmet. Take that, eighth grade girls. Fortunately. By the time my kids were in middle school, the robo baby's batteries had all worn out, and the parent whose brilliant idea it was to spend a lot of money to gift the young girls of Walter Reed Middle School with dolls that die, had moved on, taking the cyber kids' owner's manual with them. You see. The little cyborgs' batteries were thoroughly protected from being tampered with. The only way to access the life source of the little homunculi was with a unique code that could only be accessed from the master manual that was meant to be stored in a secure place on campus, but in our case had been whisked away, leaving behind a storage closet filled with useless, dead, ridiculously expensive fake babies. We tried to contact the company that created them, but they had gone out of business. Take that, PTA. I suspect that these quote lessons were simply designed to scare girls into celibacy, just like the quote lessons that depict graphic images of sexually transmitted diseases and are immediately followed by the quote lesson that the only way to be sure you don't contract one of them and die is to avoid contact with others. And hey, no one wants anyone to get pregnant unless they're ready. But I am not convinced that instilling fear of one of the main driving forces of our lives is the best way to achieve it. Look at what breathing polluted air does to your lungs. Solution: Stop breathing. As those of us who are real parents know, motherhood starts well before the baby is born. The process of growth from a single cell to a fully formed human that's ready to breathe air takes place entirely inside a woman's body. She gets used to the rhythm of the growing baby's eating and sleep cycles as gestation progresses, and when the baby is born, it's most often the mother who feeds the child with the milk her body naturally produces. There's a bond between mother and child that is unlike any other. It is supremely powerful, fierce, and tenacious. I often joke with new parents that the key to parenting is to keep the kid breathing. But there's a dark reality just beneath the surface of that joke, for the thought of losing a child is simply the most horrifying thought in the world. That thought. Is the source of Julia Ward Howe's Mother's Day proclamation of 1870. The intervening 153 years have all but erased this document from our collective memory, but this brief piece of powerful prose is the seed from which a million Sunday brunches were born. It's read here by Jennifer Hale, Colleen O'Shaughnessy, Nikki Brier, and Julie Millet. Mothers all. Arise, all women who have hearts, whether your baptism be that of water or of tears. Say firmly, we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies. Our husbands shall not come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Our children shall not be taken from us to unlearn all that we have been able to teach them of charity, mercy, and patience. We women of one country will be too tender of those of another country to allow our sons to be trained to injure theirs. 
from the bosom of the devastated earth. A voice goes up with our own. It says, disarm, disarm. The sword is not the balance of justice. Blood does not wipe out dishonor, nor violence indicate possession. As men have often forsaken the plow and the anvil at the summons of war, let women now leave all that may be left of home for a great and earnest day of counsel. Let them meet first as women to bewail and commemorate the dead. Let them then solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace, each learning after his own time the sacred impress not of Caesar, but of God. In the name of womanhood and of humanity, I earnestly ask that a general congress of women without limit of nationality may be appointed and held at some place deemed most convenient and at the earliest period consistent with its objects to promote the alliance of the different nationalities, the amicable settlement of international questions, the great and general interests of peace. In the spirit of the Mother's Day Proclamation of 1870, I'd like to present you with a few mother-led organizations who are following in Ms. Wardhouse's footsteps to solemnly take counsel with each other as to the means whereby the great human family can live in peace. The best known is probably Mothers Against Drunk Driving, or MAD. On May 3, 1980, Candace Leitner's daughter was killed by a drunk driver. It was his fifth offense of driving while intoxicated, and he fled the scene. Four days later, Candace formed Mothers Against Drunk Drivers with her friend Cindy Lamb, declaring, Death caused by drunk drivers is the only socially acceptable form of homicide. Mothers Against Drunk Drivers became Mothers Against Drunk Driving, And in the 43 years since the founding, they estimate that their work globally has cut in half injuries and fatalities due to impaired driving. MAD started in Sacramento and is now a global organization that takes in $40 million annually and advocates for raising the drinking age and lowering the legal amount of alcohol detected in the blood. This Mother's Day, we don't want cards, we don't want flowers— We want Congress to reinstate the assault weapons ban. That quote is from the landing page of Moms Demand Action. Moms Demand Action was founded by Shannon Watts, a mother of five who started a Facebook support group the day after the Sandy Hook massacre. The organization now has chapters in all 50 states and Washington, D.C., It is the largest gun violence prevention organization in the U.S. with 10 million members. And if you take a second to download their app, you can get notified about actions you can take to help reduce gun violence in your area. Every Mother Counts is striving to be sure that all mothers get the prenatal and birthing care that they deserve. It was founded by Christy Turlington Burns, who gave birth to her daughter in 2003 and had a very common complication, retention of her placenta, which caused her to lose a lot of blood. Fortunately, she was surrounded by capable birthing professionals, but it got her thinking about all the women in the world who aren't. She discovered that 303,000 women die giving birth every year. 303,000. Almost all of these deaths take place in the developing world, and almost all are preventable with good maternity care. Every Mother Counts works to strengthen the network of quality and culturally sensitive midwifery in Guatemala, Tanzania, Bangladesh, Haiti, and the underserved areas of the U.S. as well. Mothers to Mothers is an organization that empowers women in sub-Saharan Africa who are living with HIV to educate and provide health care to their communities. Mothers to Mothers was founded in 2001 at the height of the AIDS crisis in sub-Saharan Africa. They started their work by setting up health clinics, but soon struck on a more powerful and effective way to deliver health care to the communities. They harnessed the power of moms. 
they began employing women living with HIV as mother mentors who traveled door-to-door to share their stories and provide basic primary care as well as access to the larger network of health clinics. Their work has transformed the continent and has virtually eliminated mother-to-child transmission of HIV in the countries where they operate. We'll wrap up this tour of mom-run organizations with the Wall of Moms. Remember back in the summer of 2020, when George Floyd was filmed being murdered by a cop as he called out for his mother with his last breaths? Of course you do. It set off a wave of protests all over the world. One disturbing story that I'd forgotten about happened in Portland, Oregon, where masked, camouflaged, unidentified soldiers in unmarked vehicles swept into the city and essentially kidnapped protesters off the streets. Bev Barnum was understandably outraged by this and started making some phone calls. That evening, she and 70 other moms showed up and linked arms, creating a barrier of mothers between the police and the protesters. Over the course of their protests, their numbers grew to over 200 moms, all wearing yellow shirts and chanting, Moms are here. Feds stay clear. The power each of these organizations harness is the power that's central to all nonviolent protests. It is rooted in the understanding that unearned suffering is redemptive. The parents who've lost children to drunk drivers or school shooters or corrupt police have done nothing to deserve the unimaginable suffering that comes at the loss of a child. And when we witness their pain, our hearts go out to them. And we naturally want to do anything to make sure that that suffering never has to happen again. Mother's Day invites us not only to thank and celebrate our moms, but to have the courage to follow them, to face the unimaginable and declare like Julia Ward Howe before us that we will not have great questions decided by irrelevant agencies, that no one will come to us reeking with carnage for caresses and applause. Mother's Day calls us to nothing less than the redemption of our world, a world where all of our children get to keep breathing. And that's May. I hope everything you've planted in your garden is starting to bear fruit. Here's the Who Did What. The Rhythm of the Seasons is produced by Ann Kloss Farley. John Ballinger arranged All in the Golden Afternoon. He performed it with Double Batch Daddy, who also wrote, arranged, and performed Fat Bee's Knees. Charles Dayton provided sound design for The Big Question. Special thanks to our high schoolers, Penny, Aiden, Charlotte, and Kieran, for sharing their thoughts and feelings with us. And I'm your host, Keith Farley. We'll be back in a month or so with another collection of stories, songs, and conversations, all intuitively designed to help you groove with the rhythm of the seasons. 